G'day everybody. That was a shorter one. Um, welcome back to the Better Blokes podcast. I am Robbie and one of the lovely Irishmen, uh, the not as good one with the moustache, uh, is Andy, who is of course the other better bloke. We're just two blokes who are trying to be a little bit better. And a little bit less for shit content. I didn't even forget about that. Yeah, <laughs> there's a gap there. We, of course, have a guest today. So if you have been living under a rock and not looking at our Instagram stories and not the ones of Ethan in a uh, flanny, sleeveless flanny in the gym, that was, you se- noticed- <laughs> that was sexy. sexy. That was sexy. We have a new guest. Uh, we have a guest today, our second ever guest, um, a good friend of both of ours uh, that we met through our business mentoring group. Um, and I've also done a couple. Of- we did, what, five Instagram lives together last year, Gary? About that, mate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It seems like ages gone now. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. what's his name, Robbie? <laughs> Gary Cleary. <laughs> He's in Australia now. We'll say it Australia. The first question I was going to ask: How do we pronounce your name? So my full name is Garold. Yeah, but unless you speak Irish, mate, it's a nightmare. So I just go by Gary. You know, it's, 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 it's an absolute nightmare, and uh, it's something we can get into if you want today. But yeah, <laughs> when I was naming. For anyone who doesn't know, I've got a nine-week-old baby, and we were trying to decide a name for her. You know, we were trying to be, uh, yeah, we were trying to keep that in, into consideration. I didn't want her to have to go through what I've gone through my whole life, you know. But yeah, no, yeah, go by right. Gary or Gaz here in Australia, Gaz. as you guys like to shorten it to. Yeah. Gaz, I'm eight. Um, yes. Yeah, so um, Gary is another online coach um, that we, we spend a bit of time in our mentoring group with, sharing thoughts and questions, doing some socials together. He's also a former physio. You're not physioing anymore, are you? I mean, not in clinic. No, not in clinic. Um, but I'm still registered. Still, like, yeah, yep. charter physio. Yeah, yeah. Um, allowed to touch you. It, it, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriately. Yeah. Um, and one of the more, like, incredible things, um, definitely the way that your story standed out to both of us was the fact that um, a few years ago you were diagnosed with cancer. And now you're a father, which is like, and a fucking jacked father, um, if we might put it that way as well, which is a pretty, like, pretty incredible because, like, to be able to have gone through that and um, sort of, like, get to the point where you are now um, in terms of not just your business and not just your health, but also your family life, which is, which is incredible. So we'll definitely dig into that a little bit as we go along. Um, and a few more questions. I feel a bit left out here at the moment, considering there's two Irishmen at the other end of the camera and then me. <laughs> Yeah, it was normally the other way around, though. Because, you know, there's not that many Irish over in Sydney, so no. like, normally I'm outnumbered by Australians no, and no, never no, get to no, speak no, Irish. Go for a walk in Coogee, you never hear an Irish accent, not a single one. I remember the first time I went to Coogee, I'd heard about the stereotypes that, like, oh, that's where all the Irish go. I didn't really, I was like, sure, yeah. First time I went to Coogee, fucking GAA jerseys and GAA shorts <laughs> everywhere. And I was like, fuck, all right, fair enough. We had, um, when I was at uni, we had a... They played us a video that was, um, it was uh, this is when I was doing a commerce degree, and it was about Australia Day and sort of like how people were talking about changing the date. And they sent a reporter out into Circular Key in Sydney to go up to Australians and ask Australians what their thoughts were, like a bit of a vox pop. First bloke this guy walks up to was just a white guy, just a random white bloke. He goes, "Hey mate, what are your thoughts on Australia Day?" And he goes, "Oh, well, I'm Irish, so I don't really care." <laughs> First bloke. <laughs> Brilliant! Just a public holiday for us, anyway. Just a chance. Just yeah. oh, a chance for you guys to get pissed. That's what the Irish call them. We don't. We don't, we don't know that what a public holiday means. It's called a bank holiday. Yeah, it's called a bank holiday, home, because the banks are closed. Yeah. yeah. 
but, but like because we have different holidays in different parts of Australia, they're referred to as public and then it's by state. Like some states will observe one public holiday and not another, or they'll observe it on a different day. It's really weird. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Like yeah, it, it Anzac Day falls on a weekend in New South Wales, we don't get it a public holiday during the week. No, but if any like, other public holiday does, yeah. So if it's yeah, on Saturday, like with Christmas was on Saturday, Boxing Day was on Sunday, so we had two public holidays after that. Yeah. Realistically, Anzac Day is probably more important than fucking Christmas and Boxing, or Christmas and Boxing Day. Or Stephen's Stephen's day. It's one of the best days of the year. It's like yeah. that and the Boxing Day test. Yeah. All righty. Well, now that we've done the, <laughs> the introductions, let's get into it, mate. Um, yeah, so I guess... The first thing is take us through your journey, I guess, like main, mo- mostly sort of like the cancer journey from that pre-diagnosis, diagnosis, the battle, post-diagnosis, and sort of now becoming a dad. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, lads. Uh, great privilege, right? So, uh, you know, yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm don't fucking forget it. I, I, know, <laughs> I know that. I'm well aware of it. I'm the second guest and I've got big boots to fill, you know, after big, big match, you know. So, uh, no, thanks for having me. It's, it's great. It's great to come on and have a chat. Um, so, uh, no, I really appreciate it. Like, it's, it's, it's cool. Um, so, yeah, I suppose, Robbie, to answer your question, get stuck in. Yeah, we're straight into it, right? So, uh, I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, look, yeah, I, I, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer back in uh, January 2017. So, yeah, I suppose to, to backtrack a little bit, Robbie, before that, in terms of, you know, my lifestyle, my health, those sort of things, right? Because that's kind of the area we all work in now, like, I, I would consider my health to be average, my fitness to be average. Like I, you know, growing up, I don't know if you played um, Gaelic football growing up, Andy, but back in Ireland, you know, you either play football or hurling, you might play soccer or rugby. I played team sports. Um, then when I went to uni, I, you know, I was just busy with work and then being a physio, I ended up being the physio for the team. So I wasn't playing on the team. So i sort of fell away from team sports. And, you know, I think as a result of that, I didn't have a focus with my training. So I would go for 5K runs, 10K runs. I'd go to the gym because I enjoyed it, you know. But, you know, ironically, it took a health scare for me to really take my yeah, my health and fitness to the next level and realize that I had a lot more potential to gain from that, you know. So I would say prior to, to cancer, the diagnosis, I was all right. I was struggling along. I wasn't massively overweight. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't out of sh- massively out of shape. I was just okay, you know. Um so yeah, January 2017, I was diagnosed. Um, I just I just asked Michelle, my now wife, to marry me a month earlier on New Year's uh, on, on the 29th, actually. So um, she said yes, and then a month later, I'm telling her, "Oh, this is happening." So it was a it was a whirlwind couple of uh, weeks there, you know. And um, all two surprises for the price of one, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. It was <laughs> about a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> oh man, it was it was unbelievable. Um, were you were you over here when this had happened? Had you moved to Australia at that point, or were you still at home? Yeah. So so yeah. So to go back even further, Andy. So I moved over in 2013. Myself, and Michelle came over just for a year, backpacking. Got a couple of lucky breaks, mate, and. Here we are 10 years later, you know, Aussie citizens would have been. So. <laughs> <No. laughs> um, so yeah, we were here. We were in Brizzy, mate. And um yeah, look, it, it was it was it all happened really quickly. I mean, within three, four days of being diagnosed, I was in having surgery, um, got the, the tumor out, and then they give you a month to recover from that, and then it was into, into chemo. And I was actually on a clinical trial, so I was having more intense chemo than, than the usual chemotherapy cycle, which was normally like three weeks. So it's like a heavy week, a mild week, and a week off. They said to me, do you want to be in this trial? You know, 
we, we think this is, is is going to be the way going forward. And I was like, yeah, listen, just get me better. I don't mind, <laughs> you know, if I'm going to try it or not. So um, eight weeks into chemo, I developed a clot in my lung. So chemo had to be stopped, but thankfully doctors were happy with everything. And uh, yeah, so, so that was pretty much it with my treatment. Then it was five months of just daily uh, Clexane injections to, to handle the uh, lung embolism, which was good fun. That was probably worse than the chemo, to be honest, because you're just injecting yourself into the tummy twice a day uh, on already bruised, um, you know, tissue. So that was it. Yeah. And that was, it's uh, six years ago now. So um, it was a bit of a whirlwind, but at the same time, you know, thankfully, very grateful to come out the other side and uh, took the lessons from it or took as many, many lessons as I could. And uh, it's led me, I suppose, down the route that I am now, which is helping other guys to achieve peak health to, you know, again, a bit like the team for your podcast, right? Just to take things to the next level, right? And, and, and uh, you know, um, appreciate the potential that you have in terms of your health, your fitness and making that a way of life, a lifestyle. Um, so that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah, so we can get to more details there, if, I suppose, if, if you like. But uh, that's the whirlwind tour. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty intense the yeah. <laughs> double injections daily but how long was that eight weeks you said no it was about five months robbie so it was oh, about five months yeah. four or five months yeah yeah um that time mate, to be honest it's it's kind of a weird time like i i tried to keep a journal during during the treatment and all of that but there was some days where um especially as treatment went on i, I just i couldn't bring myself just even right i just my head was there was so much brain fog and I couldn't think straight. So when I go back and I look at the dates and stuff, sometimes I'm like, oh, how long was it? Well, it was about five months, four or five months, give or take, you know? Um, well, well, sorry, Wonga. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Andy. I was going to say, like, you mentioned that you kind of took a few lessons from it. Like, what were some of the lessons that you took, like, from the whole oh, look, Yeah, look, maybe, uh, I mean, I think there's probably things I've learned that I'm not even aware that I've learned if, and that's not, not trying to, you know, um, give you a roundabout answer. Like there are definitely lessons that I took away. Um, and a lot of them are quite cliche, mate, to be quite frank with you. I mean, it's like, you know, um, a lot more grateful and a lot more appreciation for just the little things in life. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, like, I think I, um, you know, I, when I hear of other people getting diagnosed now or, you know, even passing away, I think what it does is that it makes me realize how lucky I was, right? So when you're in the eye of the storm like that, this is something that a lot of people who've had cancer that I've spoken to, when you're actually in the eye of the storm, you've no, you have no choice but to keep going. So it's actually not as hard as you might think. If anything, it's a bit boring because you're just sitting there getting treatment. It's the people around you that suffer more. You know, so I think for me, the takeaway is like realizing how lucky I am to have incredible network of friends, family, you know, wife, um, and just how valuable it is to have such a great network around me, you know, and those little things, I think day to day, just being really mindful of that. The other thing is just like not getting pissed off over silly stuff, you know, <laughs> not getting, you know, being a bit more patient. Um, and I suppose just realizing that when you encounter other people, like if they might be having a shit day, they might be a bit rude. And it's just about trying to keep that in mind, you know? Um, I mean, that's really it, mate. And it's just being very, very grateful for, for um, being able to get off, go for a run, go to the gym, you know what I mean? And do it and, and enjoy it. <laughs> um, and, uh, 
and being being in a position to push on and not have any consequences of treatment, you know, still ongoing, because that's sometimes the case for people as well. They need ongoing treatment or whatever it might be. So I'm very grateful in that respect. Um, I mean, you know, we can get into it as well, but like obviously becoming a dad, massive, uh, that, that isn't a given after a type of uh, cancer that I had, you know. Um, so sometimes you, you can't have kids or you have to go down the IVF route, which is not always successful. So extremely grateful there. Uh, you know, um, I've still got it, thankfully. So uh, <laughs> still got some function down there, do you? <laughs> still, still firing it, yeah. Strong, yeah. daring swimmers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I um, guess that was kind of the next the next thing I was going to sort of ask about is like, did did that ever come up in your like head? Like, am I ever going to be a dad? Um, you know, is there this going to be something that you know it becomes an issue further down the track? And then when it came to the time when you were trying to become a dad and trying to have a kid, all the way to um, sort of obviously Michelle getting pregnant and then giving birth, like. Did, was that ever like come as a genuine stress that it might not happen? It, it was. It came off from day one, Robbie. So when I got diagnosed, they were like, "The first thing you have to do is you have to go and give away your your uh, top quality produce before you get chemo." You know what I mean? So you have to store some of that uh, in preparation for IVF. Right? <laughs> so uh, that was that was a, that was a whole experience in itself. Right? <laughs> do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely, mate. You're told like this is what you have to do. Is you know there is a there is a chance that you won't be whatever fertile, or you won't be able to have kids, or there might be complications down the line. And I mean, it was something that myself and Michelle talked about openly. And thankfully, I think the other thing, I suppose, Andy, and this might happen as the podcast goes on. I'll, I'll start to refer back to lessons that I have learned that I didn't mention earlier. But one of the lessons that I took away was just accepting the situation for what it is. You know, um, we had a, a chat about that. And we're like, well, if we can't have kids, we can't have kids. Like they're the cards we've dealt with. And, uh, you know, we, we said, right, well, you know, when we started talking about having kids, we said, right, well, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, thankfully, it did, you know. And now that Chloe is here, um, like I suppose, I now realize what I would have missed out on. It, you, you know what I mean? So if, if, if it ever happened again, and uh, you know, if I could go back in time, knowing what I have now, I would be a lot more upset about. Um, <laughs> but at the time, you don't know what you don't know, mate. You know what I mean? So yeah, you just, you just accept it, I guess. Um, so, so yeah, that sort of acceptance of the scenario and the situation is, I think, something that I took away. Um, and if you want to get into the whole, you know, Buddhist thing and stoicism and all the rest, I think it's one of the foundations of that is just to accept the the cards you're given. Um, because when you're trying to resist, that's where a lot of yeah suffering or frustration can come about. Yeah, I think it's that the concept is amor fati, which is just love, fate, and um, I'm I'm trying to get around that, but sometimes it's a little bit hard. <laughs> oh man, 100. And don't get me wrong; it's not like I'm I'm not some monk, you know, meditating for truth, you know, 24 hours a day and like completely zen. Like times in the car where I still lose my shit at other drivers or whatever, you know. Like so, don't don't get me wrong; I'm not I'm not trying to preach that I'm I'm some sort of enlightened soul. I'm not. I'm absolutely not. But I'm a lot better in those situations, or yeah, I'm definitely a lot better at dropping stuff. The, the turnaround time is a lot quicker now, right? Instead of dwelling on something for hours or days or weeks, it's like try, I try to bring it back to minutes, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's the way I try to operate now. I yeah. think we get you driving in Sydney, you'll turn into a right sour bastard again. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave work so calm 
And by the time I've gotten home, I've said cunt aggressively like 70 times. <laughs> Not a long drive. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose, yeah. It, it depends on the route. If there's a lot of roundabouts and a lot of people not using indicators, then it, yeah, that's going to rent me up. <laughs> that's the least of your problems if you're to drive in Sydney, mate. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess sort of like, Going through that journey, and you, I guess you might have already kind of mentioned this, but kind of like what was the hardest time or thing to get past or through? Like, yeah, you, you just sat there and went, fuck this. Yeah, it's a good question, Robbie. Like, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a very strange scenario. Like, as I said, at the start, um, I suppose the first thing I wanted to know <laughs> was when I met my um, urologist and the oncologist was like, I just said to him straight up, I'm like, right what's the figures here? What's the stats? Like, I want to know straight up. And they said like, well, you have a 20% less chance of being alive in five years time. I'm pretty sure they were the figures they gave me. And I was like, that's not bad. Actually, that's not bad. You know, look, and, and look, I want to preface all this by saying, if you're going to get one type of cancer as a man, testicular is probably one to get, right? Like, so they're, you know, <laughs> lucky, cancer, lucky draw. <laughs> well, you know, like cancer is a very, it's an umbrella term. And there are some cancers out there you know people other people get um there are not quite as the outcomes are not quite as favorable you know um so i suppose to come back to your question what was the kind of toughest time i guess i mean all of that is a bit of a whirlwind at the start and in the first couple of weeks guys it's 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 mad because they give you so much fluids and saline and, and and basically trying to flush chemo through your system so you don't want chemotherapy sitting in your system you want to flush through and they're giving you these anti-sickness drugs. So the first two weeks, boys, I was like Bradley Cooper and on Limitless. I was absolutely on top of the world. I, I was like, is this, is this for real? Like, is this how I'm meant to feel? You know? It's been all downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is the thing, right? So I was I was living 10-minute walk away from the hospital. So I used to cycle to the hospital from a chemo and cycle home first couple of weeks. And the nurses used to say to me, um, you know, don't overdo it because what happens is the chemo builds up in your system and then it starts to hit you pretty hard, you know, um, and that, that's true. So I think what happened then was that coming, yeah, to answer your question, Robbie, the hardest point was probably day eight, day nine, day 10 on my cycle was kind of where you came off um, some of the anti-sickness drugs that, that, and basically the steroids and, and, and it would hit you and it would be like the worst hangover for about two or three days, you know what I mean? Um, and then look, yeah, you handle that, you come out the other side. I think the hardest part of it then once you're finished treatment, mate, is just dealing with the fact that you've lost massive amounts of like tissue on your body, weight, energy levels are sapped, brain fog, not sleeping properly. You're just starting, it feels like from square one, you know, like I just remember feeling really, really weak and like fragile, you know, and I had back pain and I had niggles because I was just so weak and I just, you know, um, you know, sarcopenia, I believe is the, is the term, is, is something that happens with chemotherapy, right? So you lose your lean muscle mass. So I dropped from somewhere around 70 kilos to, I think it was around 62, 63 kilos, something like that, you know? Um, that was probably the hardest part, Robbie, because you're getting, you're trying to get back into some form of exercise and training. Well, I had to anyway, for me, from a mental health point of view, like I, I wanted to, to do that. Um, and I think it's just coming to terms with the amount of work that, is ahead of me um and, and that's why i set my goal for like years instead of weeks or months i set myself a five-year goal i said i want to be the the 
in the best physical shape and mental shape in my life five years from now because five years on from a diagnosis you're technically in remission um so it was about setting setting that goal it kind of helped me to pull through that tougher period but that's probably it mate it's probably like the the comeback you know what i mean and trying to trying to pace yourself and trying to come to terms with the fact that you feel pretty damn weak and you're just starting with bodyweight exercises you know um so that's probably it mate to be honest kind of you you touched on it there the, the comeback was like you start with bodyweight exercises to get to where you are now kind of five six years later like what what did that journey look like more from a training standpoint training nutrition standpoint more than anything but just in general like what what did that journey look like all right sweet cancer's gone ball's gone happy days Let, let's yeah. kind of get back to it what did that look like <laughs> yeah 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 so that, that's why i i was um six kilos lighter it was just the whole ball <laughs> <laughs> big enough yeah yeah they don't call um, him gary big balls for nothing <laughs> um yeah so um andy so at the time i was working in a research position at the university of queensland and and i have to I have to mention you know my my boss at the time and and the staff they were absolutely incredible in terms of um facilitate my return and just be really flexible with work hours and, and helping me work from home and stuff like that but i built it up mate so i built it up um just jogging around the block literally going for a walk walk jog around the block that was it to start with around my block and then i started cycling to work cycling to my workplace which is about 10k uh so i'd cycle there get the bus back and then just so just do one way that built it up to both you know to and from work and eventually built up my cycling so obviously with the lung clot i wanted to make sure my cardiovascular system was operating at its best you know that was my first um first port of call so i was clocking up about 100k a week on the bike um to and from work then i started to introduce um some bodyweight calisthenics work so there was a gym close to the university so i'd cycle to the it was an outdoor gym uh, i'd cycle to that do some do some reps and sets man just making up as i was going to be honest you know but just just enough to start building that strength and um and then to take it to the next level then i actually started getting back into the gym started loading up with just some simple movements compound movements um you know in terms of my nutrition around that time i was seeing a nutritionist to try and sort out my gut and just make sure things were as good as possible because obviously with chemotherapy it's kind of like bleach and everything right so i i was um yeah on you know a sort of a supplementation protocol and just trying to eat well mate like it's just the simple stuff again like there's nothing magic about it you know um but um you know i dabbled dabbled in bits and pieces just trying like i tried like vegetarian for a month i tried vegan for a month just to see how i felt you know what i mean yeah. and just to get a feel for those things and i was look i i, I suppose one thing looking back and this is part of the reason why i sort of changed lanes in terms of my career is that like i went down the keto route in terms of researching it never did keto but i started researching it because i i read that there was decent decent um evidence behind in terms of a anti or cancer prevention with living and eating i never went down that route i thought it was too drastic for me i thought it was unsustainable um I'd had a look at the sort of the vegan side of things. Um, and then when I started doing my own bit of research, I kind of realized that it had its shortcomings. Um, that's nothing against anyone who's vegan, but just for me, I felt that, you know, I did better on meat and how I felt and how I performed. Um, I mean, it was just introducing just whole foods, you know, um, it, like it's nothing fancy. It's just the boring old stuff, mate, you know. Um, plus, as I said, I was working with nutritionists. Just, she was giving me supplementation. Um, 
just in terms of anything that was coming up in my bloods that was a bit deficient to try and help with that. Um, and then I actually worked with a coach and we'd set the goal. So that was kind of, I suppose, from 2018 through 19, 20, 21. Um, and then around mid 20, well, what year we were in 23. Yeah. So around mid 21, um, I worked with a coach and I said, look, my goal over the next six months, you know, coming up five years since my diagnosis is to kind of peak and get into the best shape of my life. So I sort of built the foundation. Worked on him for about six months. Incredible experience. Um, Larry Doyle's his name. He's an Irish guy. Have to give Larry a shout out. Um, really good coach. And uh, yeah, and fucking Irish people. It's so many Irish man. You got to stick with the tribe. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. So so you know, learned loads from him, and and um, have just been working away since. You know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about training. I learned a lot about nutrition. I learned a lot about recovery protocols. Like I tried everything. You know what I mean? I was. I, I dived headfirst into it all um, and took what worked for me and just continued along with that. And honestly, Andy, none of it was groundbreaking, mate. Like none of it, anything that seemed like cancer specific always had a kind of flaky research behind it. You know what I mean? So I just stuck to the basics, mate, and yeah, thankfully served me well. So the, the interesting point you made there um, about sort of like Keto's purported benefits as sort of like anti-cancer um, interesting thing, my my dad told me about this, um, and excuse me if I have misquoted or misrepresented the, what he told me, but um, he read a book that said that cancer cells are actually quite anaerobic, so they feed really, really well off glycogen, which is why we're actually starting to – it's not that cam, cancer is caused by glycogen, but that's what makes them grow really fast. So it's – some people say that like um, sugars cause cancer. It's false. It's actually the that they're fueled by it. So if the cancer's there, it's there, but it will grow quicker, which means it's harder. The body's less capable of take, destroying it or beating it itself, but also it will be like more extreme or um, have a greater effect. Yeah, and that was my understanding, uh, Robbie. That was my understanding was that you know sugar feeds cancer cells. Um, and look, it's been a long time now since I've looked at this, mate, but. From, from what I remember, I think that sort of became a bit sketchy or it was it was kind of was wasn't totally true. And I think there was some cancers that don't need glycogen or, or don't need sugar to actually survive. I think some of the brain cancers actually drive off, you know, maybe fat instead. I can't really remember it, mm-hmm. but I remember thinking that well, first of all, keto is very hard to sustain, right? And I'm like, fuck, I'm like look um you know maybe could do it for a period of time but when the when the research wasn't really there to to say like not to the same extent as with uh, something like epilepsy where i think there's actually quite strong research behind it to show that it can really help with certain types of epilepsy from my understanding no expert in it but um i think when it comes to cancer it's a little less sketchy i think it actually made to be honest with you i think a lot of that took hold because there was some figures online who were talking about it and using keto um, in Silicon Valley to try and uh, reduce their chances of dying from cancer? Yeah. Right? I think I think that that was that was one of it. Uh, one of the reasons why that was kind of on in vogue for a while there. Um, but as I said, me, I just ended up moving away from that. I, I didn't I didn't sort of buy into it. And I just kept things simple. I think it's like a, a good advertisement of the fact that like it's not the specific 
sort of dietary protocol that you're following. It's just that you're actually following a dietary protocol rather than just eating fucking heaps of processed shit and whatever comes in the door and your salt and sugar just going up and down and your blood pressure's all over the place. It's like you're actually just eating good whole foods. We mentioned this last week, the 80-20 principle and just yeah, getting good stuff into you more often than not is just going to help feed a positive change in your lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, look, one thing that um, I, I, I think does have pretty good research behind it is is the reduction of processed foods in the fight against cancer, especially colon cancers and, and um, test, intestinal cancers, but, mm. you know, those stomach cancers, things like that. So make sure you're, you know, trying to keep your fiber levels up, um, eating whole foods and steering away from like cold meats, things like that, things that I bloody love, um, but they seem to have like smoked meats, things like yeah. that in excessive amounts, excessive levels of consumption seem to have um links to a higher risk of, of developing cancer you know i think I, have a, oh, sorry, go on, Andy. I was just gonna say i think the underlying kind of theme there with that is that the main thing is just awareness around what you're putting in your mouth and what you're putting in your body is what's going to help most and not just in in kind of the context of trying to minimize the the rate of obviously cancer growth which obviously this conversation is about but just in general with health and fitness like the more awareness you have around what you're taking in the better a shape you're going to be in in terms of your health and fitness like awareness like it doesn't matter what nutritional protocol you go off having once you have that awareness you can go down a route that suits you whether keto suits your lifestyle or whether it's something else once you have awareness of what you're putting in your body and minimizing processed foods prioritizing whole foods and making sure you're eating vegetables making sure you're eating protein once you have that you're kind of pretty sweet and you're on, you're on the right track and you're on the ball yeah, a hundred percent, mate. A hundred percent. And it just occurred to me there. I suppose one thing I forgot to say was that I quit drinking. I quit alcohol completely. So, um, and and my my understanding is that that does definitely help with reducing your risk of of cancer, things like throat cancer, esophageal cancer, stomach cancer, those sort of things. Um, so I did. I quit. I, I remember. I can rem- remember back to when I decided to quit. I was sitting on the recovery trolley after my surgery, and I said, "That's it. I'm done." Um, I don't know why I just just say that's it, you know, and uh, I've never haven't drank since, you know. So, um, I mean, that's probably the biggest change I've made to my life, like in in reflection. To be honest, that's probably the biggest thing and the most impactful, and probably the most positive as well. Like, I, I don't see myself drinking again. Um, maybe I will down in the future, but in terms of recovery, in terms of sleep, in terms of, you know. Um, just navigating life in terms of just like where I am now compared to where I was in terms of my career. And there's a definite link there, I think with, um, you know, quitting alcohol. So yeah, um, I'm not anti-alcohol. I can still go out, have, have drinks with guys. You know, I, I think, you know, for some people, they absolutely love it. Like beer connoisseurs, like guys, I've got friends who absolutely love beers. They'll try all the different craft beers. Craft beer like wankers. Too. Yeah. That's <laughs> one of them. Absolute craft beer wanker. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, listen, it's what you're into, right? At the end of the day, if you give up, you know, I talked about this before, um, like, you know, with some of the guys I work with, they enjoy their beers. Like, one of them is an absolute fanatic when it comes to beers, and I'm never going to tell him, listen, man, give it up, like, just because I give it up. You know, he loves that. It's part of his lifestyle, and, you know, it's about enjoying it, about, you know, going in on the things you enjoy as well. For me, drinking was a social thing, a cultural thing. Andy, you'll know that, right? Being Irish, like, the Irish have reputation, right? So Australians um, are the same. We've got it from you guys. Yeah, I think I think it's a different culture. I think it's a definitely different culture, um, Robbie. Like, 
I, I will say, like, when I came to Australia, I drank less, but it was because your drinking is more about, like, going for a barbecue at two or three in the afternoon, and you might finish up at 10 o'clock, you're home in bed, so you don't, you're not, you know, kicking on to nightclubs and stuff. Well, I wasn't anyway, you know, whatever. <laughs> Myself and Michelle, like, we're, you know, we came over together, so I suppose if you're a young gun and you're you're single, you might do that, but um, I think in Ireland, like, you, you might socialize a lot later, and then you end up at clubs and stuff like that. Well, I was anyway when I was younger. So and I think that's part of the reason why it was easy for me to give up drinking alcohol as well, because I sort of had that time and I had that, that period, you know what I mean? And got out of my system, I guess, you know. So, um, but yeah, that's probably one of the biggest, biggest positive changes I made. I think the big difference between the drinking culture at home and the drinking culture over here is there's more to do in Australia, whether it's weather based or just kind of there's different values around kind of spending time with people, like you mentioned, barbecues. Like you can go to the beach, you can go and do so much more things. Whereas if you're from a small town at home in Ireland, which most towns are quite small, the only real thing to do is if you're not playing ga, is go and fucking drink. Yeah. That's all there is to do. I've definitely yeah. noticed from a um from an Australian, like well, from a, someone that grew up in Sydney perspective, like um a lot of my kind of like friends from a lot of like a lot of people that I've known for like a long long period of time, especially when I was a bit of a heavier drinker, like the way they socialize is drinking. And I mean, like I was the same. I used to get on the beers maybe three, four times a week, um, and that was how we we all socialized. Because I mean, we all worked in a um, a lot of the time it was like hospitality or with with the rugby club. It was like you're out drinking constantly. Whereas nowadays, I mean, my friendship group has change sort of slightly anyway but i definitely find myself doing less going out drinking more getting up going for a coffee going for a walk so it's i think it's part of it as well is like the group of people you're with and chant as you mentioned like there's not a whole lot to do in a small town in ireland so if you're yeah. like if you're a small town like it is, there's not a whole lot to do it's like oh we'll go drinking but you know if you're surrounded by a few people out here who are like you know let's get up let's go for a surf let's go for a train you know let's go for a run like definitely less likely to to get on the uh, on the beers on a friday night and not be functional until monday morning yeah yeah um, yeah uh, yeah sorry no i was just going to say as well i suppose it, it depends on your environment like as in proximity to cafes and proximity to to think you know nice walks and the beach and whatever um if you're interested know like in rural australia whether Oh, yeah. You know, there's more of a drinking culture, right? Because yep. you maybe, you know, you're in the same sort of scenario. And I think it serves a purpose. I mean, the thing is, like in, in rural areas is like, you know, perhaps like isolation is a bit of a thing, right? So if, if the pub, get to the pub and having a few drinks with your mates on a Saturday night, like is, is, is does it for you? And, and it's a, it's a you know, let you blow, off, blow off some steam, you know, brilliant. Again, I'm not anti-drinking, but in terms of the impact it's had on my life, my health positively, I couldn't, um, yeah, couldn't vouch for it more or at least trying it for periods of the year even, you know? Yeah, 100%. I think to touch on what you said there, Gary, as well, and Robbie, you won't know who Danny and Michael Healy Ray are, but uh, <laughs> Gary was. <laughs> so there's a, there's the Ireland split into 32 counties. There's a county known as Kerry, which is... Like, could you say Kerry. that number again, please, Andy? 30, 32. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a county known as Kerry, and uh, some of the TDs from Kerry are um, Kerry's a real like rural, like it's a farming um, farming county, uh, really really rural. And there's um, there's a family of TDs, like their dad was a TD. TD is a uh, our politicians, like our members of parliament. Okay, yeah. <laughs> TD, you know, um, 
So there's two TDs. Is, is it Mike? It's Michael and Danny Healy Ray. I think so. Are the two Andy, yeah. And then their dad is a politician as well. But essentially, one of the things they're campaigning for is to bring back drink driving in Kerry. Because Kerry is so, it's like it's very small towns, very rural. And a lot of the elderly population are feeling more isolated because they can't go to their local community spot is the pub. Yeah, they can't or, go to the GA club. They go like they'll go to the gar club and they'll have a few drinks, but now they can't get home because drink driving laws are so strict. So the Healy Rays stop this isolationism happening within rural Kerry are campaigning for the drink driving laws to be more lax in Kerry, so they can drink drive, so they can go to the pub and still drive home. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting one. I don't know. Like you can just go and walk down. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's you know it's especially with like the weather, like you wouldn't want an old fella walking like in the pub in the middle of winter when it's like cold and dark and pouring with rain and windy. You don't want him like wandering down a country road in the in the pitch black so he can go. Yeah, and someone comes around the corner, I can't see him. Yeah, um, uh, there's yeah, actually it's, it's the whole that, thing is that's more dangerous than driving home drunk. <laughs> it's funny that actually like. New South Wales has very strict drink driving laws. In South Australia, you are actually allowed to drink booze whilst you are driving. Once you're not over, obviously. Yeah, providing you're not over. So I was, yeah, I was talking to my um my aunt's uh, husband. He was like, yeah, I um he was like, yeah, the other day I was like had a beer in my hand, and then we went over, and the guy was like, you, how many of you those have you had? And he's like, oh, this was just a takeaway from the pub. Like, how many do you have at the pub? Oh, I just had two. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Literally waved him on. <laughs> in uh, New South Wales, it's like, boom, you're in yeah. jail, brother. <laughs> you're not driving. Like home. You can have had one or two, like once you're under the limit, but you cannot drive when you're. When yeah. You, you yeah. cannot drink while you're driving. Yeah. It's fair enough. I guess I to. Um, no, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I wonder, like, if you had a can of, say, better beer, no alcohol, or sports beer, or fucking heaps, no anything like that, and you get pulled over, like, I wonder what the what the story is there because they technically say zero less than um, zero, zero yeah point zero five percent just in case there's trace amounts yeah oh, that'd be interesting we'll have to try I'm that not out. an experiment just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I guess Gary um, next kind of question was like obviously we've spoken about you're a physio for a sports team you've gone into research as well and now you're an online coach like what brought about the change there like how how do we get down that path. Yeah, mate. Um, I suppose, yeah, good question, Robbie. Like, it was pretty organic, mate, to be honest. Um, I mean, if we take it right back, I decided to, to go into physio when I was like 16, 17. Like, I just loved, I, lo- I loved everything to do with the touching body, people. movement. Yeah, touching, <laughs> touching people, touching myself, touching others. Yeah. Um, You've already talked about touching yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, mate, look, I just always had an interest in health, fitness, the body, biology, science, all that stuff. And and it just so happens, like, I, can't, I, I had my own injury, so I, I went down the physio route. But um, I could very easily have gone down nutrition, exercise physiology, PT, all these other different routes as well. Um, and I, I'd always sort of outside of physio read up on nutrition and, and sleep and all these other factors. And... What I saw with a lot of guys who would come for physio, not all, but definitely specific populations was that, you know, they were looking for, you know, um, intervention with their injuries. But when we ha- actually had a chat about their lifestyles, like their sleep was screwed up, their, their stress levels are through the roof, mate. they weren't fueling themselves properly. Like they were, you know, drinking, you know, four coffees by 10 a.m. And, and not eating during the day and 
their whole nervous system was just ramped up. And then they were coming in going, oh, yeah, my back's really flared up today for no apparent reason. And you're sort of having to chat with them about, well, listen, I think a lot of your lifestyle factors are, are adding to this. Um, and then the other thing, I suppose, uh, Robbie, is that, like, I graduated from physio back in 2011. And over the last, you know, decade, mate, the, the approach with physiotherapy has changed so much. Like, it, it's, in, and it's come from the research, um, you know, from all populations, like, if you want to exceed in terms of your results with people, it, there's more and more evidence supporting the use of strength training, um, you know, resistance training, endurance, you know, getting people moving, right? You know what I mean? In terms of, of, of general uh, chronic illness, but also, um, you know, acute injuries, right? Getting them strong. I, like when I came out, it was all about massage, dry needling, electrotherapy, all of these different things, and then give someone a, cute, a few Theraband exercises at the end of a session, right? And, and I was there. I did that. Like, um, and, but I always, you know, when I when I started working with sports teams, then you had the expectation that, you know, you, you need to get this guy back, right? So you start exploring other avenues and then you start going down the strength routes and all of these different things. So I, I think I was ultimately going to always end up, um, more of a, a, I suppose, rehab or gym-based physio as opposed to being hands-on. And it simply came about because my results got better from loading people off properly. Um, then take that with my own journey and my own, um, you know, health um, issues. And, you know, I suppose I had guys reach out to me, ask me about that. Like, and, you know, how did you, how did you come back from this? Like, how did you achieve this, you know, these, these fitness goals? And it sort of just morphed, you know, very organically, mate, into kind of changing lanes. Like I still consider myself a physio. I'm still a chartered physio. Um, I, I still program within, you know, with the guys that I work with, there will be rehabilitation protocols in there, the very same as if, if I was in a clinic, right? Um, and for a lot of these guys, they're not acute injuries, so they don't necessarily need the hands-on work. Or if they do, I'll say, hey, listen, go and see someone and, and, and have that bit of work done. But we can then progress on with the rehabilitation through your strength program. So it all sort of feeds in itself very, very, um, you know, positively, right? If you've got the nutrition in check and you're trying to reach your body composition goals, there's no reason why good nutrition is not going to also help you to achieve, you know, um, your, your rehabilitation goals as well, right? So if you've got a hammy issue that's been going on for years, right, and your goal is to be able to go on a 10K run, right? Like the research is very, very clear on you need to load that and, and you need to use, you know, the said principle. So specific adaptations to impose demands like dry needling and massage is not going to help you to sprint up a hill on a 10k run like it, it might help you initially if you have some of the acute symptoms but you need to be specific to your to your movement and to the strength that you're, you're applying that you're using the exercise that you're using to rehabilitate that um that injury so i, I there was there was no kind of um one reason for it robbie it was pretty organic mate like as i said i just I still consider myself a physio, but now I'm just somebody who takes into consideration the lifestyle factors, the nutrition, and I have to work with people on more of a one-on-one -on -one, uh, scenario. And a lot of the guys then as well, the, not all, but you know, there were guys who their injuries were as a result of being overweight or carrying excessive body fat as well, right? You know what I mean? So they had old knee injuries, like they might have played footy back, you know, ten years ago, and they maybe did an ACL or they had meniscal injuries, and you know, they give up playing sports. They sort of thought that's it they're never going to be able to, to run again they come in with knee issues they're you know carrying an extra 10 15 kilos that's that's not helping their their uh their knee their own knee injury right so i think um it was just more about wanting to take a more global view 
with with the guys who were who were coming to the clinic and for me to be able to do that and have the time to do that coaching was the kind of avenue that was going to allow me to do that man you know yeah have that flexible lifestyle that we all dream of yeah yeah and look absolutely man like i suppose i've worked as an employee since i was like 16 years old so i'd always had this itch i mean i always thought i would just go and open my own clinic um but you, you know, you have to remember the, the world has changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years since I graduated, right? Mm-hmm. And and online does open you up to, you know, other opportunities. Um, so absolutely, mate, I, I, that was that was appealing to be able to work for myself, yeah, and, and work my own hours. And now that I'm a dad, I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you can you pretty much have your own clinic, but that clinic works where it can be wherever you want it to be. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Anywhere in the world. Um What's next? Like, what's what's in the future for the Little Cleary family for for Gary and Michelle and Chloe? What's what's coming up? Yeah, man, good good question. Look, um, I mean, we're we're taking a year by year at the moment. Uh, like, there's always going to be a pullback. Now that you, now that we got you know we got Chloe, we got a baby. There's always going to be that bit more of a pullback to to Europe, um, or, or Ireland, the family. But we love it here, love the lifestyle. Um, I think we'll be here in Aussie for the next couple of years anyway. And, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, business, mate, it's just about continuing to try and improve my services, get the best results, create a community of guys who are looking to take things, you know, to the next level, achieve peak health and, uh, you know, lifelong learning, mate, as, as cliche as it sounds like it's it just, I think if you look at the last 10 years and the uh, progress has been made in terms of health, fitness and the research there, I think over the next 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to be, uh, huge as well you know what i mean and just optimizing people's health and, and helping them to make it a lifestyle so that's it mate i think in a nutshell yeah and uh hopefully try and fight off that bod you know, <laughs> mate if any like you and matt peacock honestly like dad bod goals like <laughs> both of you are absolutely jacked and shredded maybe it's the short factor because neither of you are like giants when it comes to height you're short kings so maybe i it's just anyone with a dad bod's is too bloody tall. It's all, uh, it's all, what's it? Um, what do they call it? Smoke and mirrors. Yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, lovely. I guess, um, yeah, that was, I mean, thank you for sharing all that stuff, Gary. It's, or, um, it, yeah, it's, it's an amazing journey. Certainly bloody inspiring. I definitely use, um, I, I use you as a bit of like a, a ruler to go against whenever I'm feeling like tired or like, fuck, I can't be bothered doing this. I'm like, Gary's doing it. And he's got a kid. So, get off your ass Robbie just go and do it what would Gary do get that on a t-shirt mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah Jesus um, don't know about that now don't know about that but uh, yeah just doing my best mate you know what I mean as I said a lot of it comes back to just not taking it for granted like if you can get up and get on you know go for a cycle in the morning like if you ever need a dose of perspective just go and visit an oncology board any day of the week and you know man you'll you'll um You'll, you'll soon be very, very grateful for your ability just to get out and train and, you know, do hard stuff um, and do it of your own accord and not be forced to sit somewhere and, you know, endure other hard stuff that maybe doesn't have the outcome you want, you know. So, um, yeah, like genuinely from a from a very uh, pragmatic point of view, it's just about trying to, you know, enjoy enjoy the fact that you're, you are able to get out and train and, and you know, not take it for granted, mate. That's kind of what drives me. But also, I think your goal is to change. Like both of you are kind of young bulls, right? So you might have different, uh, different um, health and fitness goals. But for me now, it's about like you know, when Chloe's five or six. I want to be able to 
get on a jumping castle with her like and have good fun and not be worried about you know <laughs> draining your back. back yeah exactly you know um so you'll see that there's different seasons for for different goals right and and, and i think you know anyone else who becomes a dad would probably agree with me there on that you know so um definitely a motivator mate definitely a motivator um just having having a kid it definitely gives you perspective as well yeah so you know, you're just uh, trotting along. Don't get me wrong. I have weeks, mate. Like this week, I didn't get the amount of training that I want. Um, you know, things don't go according to plan, but you practice what you preach. You know, clients, we all know that. Clients will have weeks like that as well, and you've got to take a step back and just go, right, well, let's look at the bigger picture, you know? So yeah, keep, 100%. Keep hammering away. All righty. Well, we're going to move on to our next, our new segment, um, the 10-minute tackle. Um so essentially, uh, for anyone that is new around here, we've got an issue. We're going to set a 10-minute timer, which limits the amount of tangents we can go off on. Um, and we're just going to see if we can tackle this issue in 10 minutes. Probably might be a little bit more serious than some of the stuff we usually go to, although I'm pretty sure you know, cancer is pretty up there in terms of seriousness. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might be, normally we're not that serious, so this might be on the other end. Um, the topic for today or the, the, the issue is the global caffeine epidemic. Like everyone just wants to be pumping caffeine all the time. Um, so a bit of background for this. I was this, oh, Andy's also listened to this podcast, but it's um, Zach Tellander is, was on uh, Chris Williamson's podcast, so the Modern Wisdom podcast, and they were talking about they were talking about supplements and they were talking about how he's like dry scoops, these like pr- proprietary blends of caffeine. And then he went on a bit of a tangent and just going like he'd talk to people that'd be like, how much coffee do you drink? And they'd be having like coffees with 250 milligrams of caffeine in them two to three times a day, including in the bloody afternoon. And I was like, that's just ridiculous. And then kind of brought up a couple of other period times recently when people told me how much bloody caffeine they're pumping into their bodies. I used to be a bloody addict, but I guess, yeah what's why are people doing so much caffeine why are people getting onto it so we're going to set a timer for 10 minutes and we're just going to go for that you ready andy yep three two one all righty so gary what are your thoughts on the caffeine epidemic but uh, it's very interesting um i don't know if andy if you've noticed it but since i came to australia back in 2013 like when i left ireland there was very much a tea drinking nation oh yeah and over the last 10 years mate it's like coffee has taken over it's like it's like australian coffee culture has um been taken back to ireland you know and uh yeah man i think it's just a sign of the times like everyone's busier like everyone wants everything quicker um i think i think it's multifactorial i think also it's it's the access to coffee it's the access to, to really good coffee and cafes right so it's your environment as well and perhaps maybe a little bit of just lack of knowledge around the impact of caffeine on your sleep. Like I still have friends who tell me I can have a coffee and go to bed and, you know, I'll sleep like a baby. But their energy levels the next day won't be the best because they're not really, the sleep quality is not there. So I think it's multifactorial, like a lot of things, right? You know, and so I, I think um, I, the other thing is probably a lot of people are under fuel, like they're not eating very well. And as a result, they're getting these slumps or they're like just having like cereal and, and milk for breakfast and they're getting this 10 a.m. slump and they're already after having a coffee. So they have another one and then they have another slump at three and they'll have another coffee and they think coffee is the solution. And I see this with, with guys who come on board and we start actually getting them eaten properly and clean up their nutrition and their hydration. Um, all of a sudden they don't need as much coffee mate so i think it's i think it's multifactorial yeah 100 i used to be um when i was at uni i'd go and get a coffee when i rocked up to uni and then i'd get one after every class 
I had a couple of days where I had four classes. So I'd end up having maybe not one after the last one, but like four coffees of like a double strength in a day. And I was like, you know, I was like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. And then I'd be like hands buzzing all over the place. Now you, you find me in the corner in the fetal position if I if I drank that much coffee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. back and forth. Yeah, and then I'd uh, I'd I had to really tone it down and really work on it. And now I'm like, I at no point will I ever have more than three caffeinated drinks in a day. I think a lot of it comes from a lack of awareness around one. How much caffeine is actually in? Obviously, coffee is the the most consumed, but it's in other drinks as well. It's in tea. Um, there's a fuck ton of caffeine in like zero sugar Coke and, and, and Pepsi Max and stuff like that as well. It's a lack of awareness about how much caffeine is actually in these drinks, but it's also a lack of awareness around what caffeine actually does and how it can affect you and, and kind of how it affects your adenosine system. Well, I saw a tweet earlier on this week. I'm going to pull it up. Um, and it was after me and Robbie had had the conversation about what we we're going to chat about today. And it's, I know I'm getting old because I've started getting heart palps after my fourth coffee recently. It's all over. It chucked me in the grave already. I'm going to have to start drinking chamomile tea. Like that's just purely a lack of awareness. Like four coffees and most coffees will have two shots in them. Like Robbie was saying, which how much caffeine is in, in a double shot? Cause I don't only have one normally. I think it's like 150 in a single shot. So if you 150 milligrams times four, and that's just coffee. That doesn't include other things. Like, so you're talking 600 milligrams of caffeine. And for most people, like for, say, a 100-kilo male, it's probably fine. For, say, a 50-kilo female who who's what tweeted that, that's going to, yeah, that's going to have you off the fucking walls and, quite rightly, give you fucking heart palpitations. A hundred percent. I also, like, something that you mentioned there, Gary, was that the, the, the coffee culture of Australia um, sort of like spreading across the world. But something very interesting that's been brought up, um, I know MP mentioned it when he was here and I saw it in an article written by an English guy about why Australia isn't as good as everyone says it is. And he's like, you can't, coffee shops close at 3.30. This guy was like, you can't get a coffee after 3.30. It's like, yeah, because I want to go to fucking sleep, bruv. Like, um, we, like coffee shops tend to like close at that, like, yeah, around that like 3.30 time because that's they're not there to kind of like sit open. Their main thing that they're selling is coffee and people aren't just shouldn't be drinking coffee that late. Um, but the amount of people that, yeah, I mean, the same thing is like that I'll have like come on board and it's like, oh, how much, like when are you having like, what's your caffeine intake? Like, oh, I'll have an energy drink at 6 p.m. Bruv. Like, and if you go like, for a, like a, a nice dinner and they offer you a coffee or a tea mm-hmm. after dinner and you're like, what? It's nine o'clock at night. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, yeah M- M- Michael McIntyre does a good skate like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember making a coffee at, at at something in the evening, and my mom was like, "What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Stop that! No, you're not drinking that." And I was like, "Oh, the coffee." She's like, "Nah, nah." Um, really good example of this is even just like how it can have like such a negative effect on your sleep. Is I mean, I'm not a great sleeper on planes anyway. Um, but I often can manage to do it. But when I was going to Dubai at the end of last year, um, I intended to go and have an airport beer because my flight was at six o'clock in the morning. So I was like, I'll have an airport beer and then I'll get on the plane and I'll just pass out because I'd stayed up the whole night before. But the, they didn't have any, um, they weren't se- se- serving any booze. So I had a coffee and I just couldn't get to sleep. And it was only like, I'm someone that knows about this. And it was only after I got back that I was like, you had a fucking coffee right before you tried to go to sleep. Like, no shit, you couldn't get it. <laughs> you were buzzed staying awake. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, like, I, I definitely, I think it depends on the person as well. As you said, and it depends on like absorption rates and like, you know, the half-life of coffee is about five hours, but it depends on the person, depends on, 
even some of the medications you're taking, etc. Um, like for me, I'm pretty caffeine sensitive. So I use my caffeine very tactically. And I actually have a rule. I won't drink coffee if I've had a crap sleep, actually, because what I find is that I get antsy and like I just like, OK, I'm doing like, you know, my, my brain starts racing, but I'm not more productive. You know what I mean? So I actually use coffee on the days where I've had a pretty good sleep. I've got a big day ahead of me. Generally, I'll be training that day as well. And I try to refrain from it on, on recovery days, you know, um, but I'm quite caffeine sensitive. I didn't drink proper coffee until I came to Australia. It was always tea. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, with tea, I believe the compound is L-teening, which so you don't get that same sort of crash or those same jitters. Um, so I think it depends on the person as well, Robbie. Like, um, and I suppose it comes back to that point. If you're hanging around with people who are able to tolerate coffee and you're trying to keep up with them, you know, as opposed to alcohol, you know, we're talking about coffee now. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're gonna you're gonna be um, a bit more jittery, and perhaps it feeds into the whole like higher levels of anxiety and and stuff nowadays as well. I don't know, you know. Definitely interesting. I noticed that if I've like, um, because I like if I'm really feeling fucked, like, and I need to like, you need to get through PT sessions, like, you need to be. Or like aware you can't just be like yeah, like you can't have when you're face to face you can't have that like off time I'm like oh, i'll go and have have my cafe and i'll get to like i'll have a little like you know maybe an extra shot of coffee here or there and i will feel so anxious just like some, things are gnawing at me and i can't concentrate as feel it. and it's like yeah 100 percent. i it does um contribute to anxiety and i find that a lot of people who are quite anxious tend to struggle to get to sleep and so they pump themselves full of caffeine to wake themselves back up the next day but because they're so they're already anxious it increases their anxiety and then they can't get to sleep because they've had all this caffeine and it's just this negative feedback cycle that just keeps going 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 um one thing that you, as well that you mentioned there is obviously you didn't drink as much coffee until you came out here um uh jordan peterson um has a a thing to, that he talks about kind of like the um utility of deprivation so if you find yourself reliant on something depriving yourself of it intentionally um is to like help yourself overcome the, the reliance so another example is like if you're someone that needs alcohol to feel confident and you know go and talk go and be outgoing and talk to people actually trying to do stuff like being outgoing without the alcohol can actually help you overcome it with caffeine like if you're someone that like me that started drinking coffee in high school um it became like a point where I literally had to just go, I can't, I have to have time days where I just don't have any coffee. Like I can't be going up and like all, everyone in my family drinks coffee. We would, you know, I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and mom, do you want a coffee? And I'd go up and up to the cafe and get us coffees. And we do it like two or three times during the day. I'm a big coffee drinker, but it was like actually intentionally depriving myself to get me to a point where now I can go de- like actually just wake up and be like, I'm not gonna have a coffee today. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Um, I suppose, yeah, question for you, boys, caffeine or not? Or, sorry, decaffeinate or not, should I say? Decaffeinate or not? I have, uh, coffee, coffee, it normally tastes like shit, so no. I have, I have the same, it's the same thought that I have. Obviously, Andy's pushed me onto the low alcohol or the no alcohol beer a little bit more recently, but it's a quote from Ron Swanson in, uh, in Parks and Recreation where he goes, the only thing I hate more than liars is skim milk, which is water lying about being milk. So <laughs> the only thing I hate more than liars is decaf coffee which is water lying about being coffee <laughs> fair point fair point yeah it, it tends to divide people you know but uh but yeah i think sometimes that's a good tactic like if you get you know i know with some of the guys who come on board to drinking two or three coffees i'm like listen try decaf or 
you know, yeah, try decaf, give it a shot. Some of them are like, yeah, others are just like, no, listen, I'd rather have no coffee at all, right? So, um, but the other thing about that as well is that I think sometimes people drink decaf think it is no caffeine in it at all, but sometimes it can actually be reasonably high. Um, so you can sort of trick yourself into thinking that you're, um, you know, making a positive change to improve your sleep. So it's just something to be aware of as well. Yeah. And on top of that, there's people just dry scooping pre-workout at nine o'clock at night before you go to the gym. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? Like, it's called cracked. You know it's going to be that's too a bad much. idea? Yeah, I am. That's 10 minutes. I, I purposely brought the pre-workout in there at the end just so Andy couldn't come back on it. <laughs> Very tactical. All righty. Uh, to finish off, of course, a couple of questions um, that have come through on the Instagram. Um, first one, and this was put in on the Instagram, but I actually, I noticed it today. Like I was at the gym, I noticed two or three people doing it. Um, sweatpants at the gym thoughts on, on men or women, men, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, uh, it's a no for me. I I don't know. Um, middle middle of winter, you're training the GAA hall gym at home. It's fucking minus four outside. I'm wearing trousers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's, so it's context dependent, really. Oh, yeah. In Australia, absolutely. no. Definitely no. context dependent. But even in the middle of winter, I mean, obviously our our winters aren't as cold as yours, but also our buildings aren't designed as well. Um, I even in the middle of winter, I put if I put anything on the bottom half of my leg, the the calf and shin sweat that I get is disgusting. It is ridiculous. And yeah. There's some people, I mean, I, there was a bloke today training like next to me. I had to tell him off for um, letting on the on the cable machine, letting go of the, the cable and smacking into the thing constantly. And he's wearing a singlet and tracksuit pants. I'm like, bruv, are you hot or cold? <laughs> but I was like, the sweat, like it's, I'm dripping and I'm in a t-shirt and shorts. And I'm like, I was like, I wasn't doing a super heavy, like I, like it wasn't a session that I was dripping with sweat, but I would, it was making me drip. This guy's in fucking sweatpants, bruv. Put some shorts on. No one's looking yeah, at you. Yeah. I, I think initially, yeah, coming back to that point, Andy, like to get warmed up, but I would always have shorts underneath so I could whip off the sweatpants once they start heating up. Mm. Lower body yeah. pump cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, and... Another one is, uh, yeah, I guess fairly uh, something that you like to bring up a lot, Gary, is uh, tea brands. Will you, will you drink any tea brands uh, in Australia? <laughs> Man, I tell you, I tell you what, I don't know why, but it's, it's, I think it's because I've become a dad and now I'm 35, but um, I have a much greater appreciation for Irish tea. It's like Barry's. I, I, it's like Guinness, mate. You know, when you drink Guinness when you're younger, you don't have an appreciation for it, then you develop a taste, or so I'm told anyway. And I think it's the same when it comes to tea. So it's very, very hard to beat the Irish tea. There's a certain mix of tea leaves. I don't know what Barry's put into the bags, but uh, it's hard to beat. It's hard to beat. So I would have to say that the Aussie teas are okay, but they just don't quite hit the mark. Uh, and I'm sure Andy will back me on this. If you want to level up your tea, though, you got to go for the lines with the pyramid bag. Oh, wow. Wow. That's not at all Irish. But I will concede that the decaf berries is nicer than the decaf lines. All right. I haven't even tried decaf lines, man. Right? Yeah, because he's not a coward. (laughs) Decaf berries, though, taste like proper tea. Are you you milk and sugar in your – you definitely have milk, but are you a sugar in your tea guy? Tiny bit. 
a little bit. Yeah. Not I'll, all, like, I'll drink tea without it, but I'd rather have neither milk nor sugar. I have my tea black and it wigs people out. Because <laughs> it's wrong. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's when you put milk in, it's more like there's eating and drinking in it. It's more like a meal as opposed to just being a water. How much milk do you put in your fucking tea? <laughs> not much, not much, not much, but it, it's just, it gives it that. You know what I mean? It gives it a bit more density. A bit more, of a a bit more density. Yeah. I have when I was in the UK, people were like you want a cup of tea, and I'm like, yeah, and they want um, milk and sugar, and I'm like, no, and they're like, oh, it's so just milk, and I go, no, nah, I'll just have a black, and they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's what. I, yeah, it's, it's a bit weird. It is what I what I have noticed is that um, what milk does as well is that it cools it down that little bit quicker, so it gets to a more drinkable temperature quicker. I do have to sit on my. Uh, my black tea a little bit longer to get it to the point where I can consume it. Yeah, and you don't want to go putting cold water in because that's even where like you could. <laughs> what, what, what do you want? Do you want do you want milk and sugar? He's like, no, can I have a drop of cold water? And I was like, fuck off. <laughs> Make your own tea. All right. Uh, shower thoughts of the week. Gary, do you have any shower anything anything you were thinking about in the shower this week? Well, Maybe not necessarily in the shower, boys, but I did have this thought today, this 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 dread, this paranoia come come over me when I took Chloe out of her bassinet and I went to like throw her up into the air and I realized we have a fan in the living room. <laughs> and... <laughs> you might be swear... like uh, can you come in here for a second? I fucked up. <laughs> Just from the hangover. We fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, who or what the fuck do we do now with these fans? Because I'm like, I'm completely paranoid, you know. Like, I, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, you know, you just like throw them up, bounce them around, whatever. I'm like, the fucking fan, the fan. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta keep her away from the fan. So I started, my my mind started going. I actually want to Google. It. I'm like, is there sensors you can get? You put it on the blade, so if you become like within, you know, half a meter of it, they turn off. But then I'm like, would that work? You know, so listen, it, it became a whole train of thought that when you're I was like. When you're throwing the baby up, turn the fan off. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, yeah, if, if you're thinking about it, <laughs> it is, it is, it is. And, you know, normally it's a spur of one thing. You're just like, you know, having a bit of fun. Next thing you know, you're after knocking your kid out with a fan or if you have to take her head off. So, yeah. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Andy, shower thought of the week? Um, I've, I've been, a bit, been a bit thrown by that one. Um, Shit. Can you come back to me? You want me to go first? Yeah. <laughs> I am Gary decapitating his baby. <laughs> Speaking of babies, um, one of my one of my best mates, um, mate from uni, Jacko, just he just had he and his partner just had a kid, and um, I met her little Tilly last week on Friday. So I actually held a newborn baby for the first time in my life, and this, this is just it's this is very similar to your kind of like thought. But I had so I was holding her um, in in my arms as you hold a hold a child, and she started wriggling a little bit, and I and I remembered that like when you hold like a like have a dog or a cat in your hands and it starts squirming and clearly doesn't want to be in your hands anymore, you kind of lower it like midway to the ground and then just drop it and you go it'll land on its feet and then it'll like it can it can go off and do its thing. You can't do that with a kid. <laughs> no. They don't land on their feet, no. <laughs> So I was just holding holding this baby like, fuck, <laughs> what happens if it gets upset? 
Uh, well, the, the advice I was given from a friend who's also a dad, he just said to me, look, they bounce pretty well, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think when it's your own kid, you can get away with that. But when it's someone else's, you can't get away with it. Sorry, I dropped the kid. <laughs> it, it's crazy, though. It's crazy. It's like a skill, man. Like the, the first couple of days, you're so like, oh, my God. And then all of a sudden, then a couple of days in, you're like holding one arm, like win one arm up here while you're, you know, frying eggs. And, oh, you know, you just curling. get used to it. Yeah, yeah, they're they're adaptable and yeah, and, and like as they get, you know, as they get stronger and a bit more core control, they can actually kind of just sit there instead of like you know wobbling all around. Get her doing so, dead so. bugs and bird dogs so that when you're holding her, she can hold her. Yeah, she's gonna be doing pull ups before she can walk. Yeah, it's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Andy, are you ready? Yeah, mine's come back to me. It's so this is it's weird to ask the price of some things but not the price of others. Do you ever notice that? Mm. like if you go up to get a coffee or get a beer and you go oh how much is that one and then turn around and be like that's 18 dollars for that for a pint it's weird to walk away like you just order it and then just deal with the consequences after but mm. with other stuff like if you're going shopping say buying a new air fryer like i did it's not weird that's the price well the price is probably already there but you can really? ask it and not buy it i know but it's socially kind of weird to do yeah. that yeah yeah like, no, i get your point how much is a pint of fucking balter? It's like 16 bucks in some places. And you it's go, weird to know, well, all right, cheers. And then walk away. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And on that as well, you walk into a cafe to see like, because you can't see their food display. So you walk in to see the food display and then you go, I don't want anything here. But yeah, then all yeah. of a you're like, it's not, it's not illegal. You can do it, but it's weird and awkward. <laughs> yeah. I can't just walk out without buying something. 100%. Like, how much is a coffee? Because coffee's getting quite expensive now. Like, mm. Kira gets oat milk in a coffee. So her, her coffee oh. can be like $5.50. I'm like, fucking, I don't want to pay that. Yeah. I like, someone, that should be $4. I had someone walk past me in, in, um, in Lucas. So, Gary, we go to the same um, cafe just around near our gym. Um, owned by a guy called Lucas. We just call it Lucas. And I had a mate walk past and message me. He's like, oh, you love that cafe. And he goes, why? And I go, it's the cheapest coffee. <laughs> and it's like, one of the places up to five fifty. you go there on a public holiday, they charge you 15% surcharge. It's bloody six bucks for a, for a large cap. Over to Lucas, four fifty every time. Um, lovely next door is cheaper. Yeah, but he makes shit coffee. No, he doesn't. The chap who owned it before him made shit coffee. Lovey's coffee's gotten better. He changes beans. Okay, well, I still Lucas, my guy. So yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, you on, that bombshell, <laughs> on that bombshell, um, that must be pretty much us. Hour and ten yeah. minutes. Don't want to keep you around too long, Gary. You've got uh, <laughs> near a fan. Um, yeah. Where where can everyone find you? What's the it's your Instagram? Your other things. Yeah, uh, look, Instagram and Facebook, lads, at the Coach Cleary. Um, you can pretty much find me on both those socials. Um, reach out, yeah, if you have any questions or anyone, you know, in terms of cancer or, yeah, knowing anyone going through it and just want to have a chat, always open for that as well um, because it's, you know, that's, I suppose, something we didn't really get into. But, um, you know, I had a great support network around me. Um, and I think that's always really important. So if anyone, even if you, if we don't know you personally, more than happy to have a chat and, you know, give you my two cents. So by all means, reach out. You're a fucking king. All righty. Um, if you are new around here, hit the uh, subscribe, the follow button, download the episodes. Apparently it does some stuff for us. Um, but yeah, like it, rate it, chuck it on your Instagram story, all the buttons, Amazon, 
Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, of course. I just have to remember the three of them. Got them in the wrong order. Um, yeah, ch- chug us a follow. Thank you very much for coming on, Gary. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll, uh, Thank you very much, lads. Appreciate the uh, the invite and keep up the great work, boys. Great to have you. Locking up the podcast, which is, you know, consistency. So fair play. Right 2-4. 2-4. Four. Four. The next goal is 50. We're going to get there at, towards the end of the year. It's going to be huge. And I was shadowing the doubt. <laughs> Our last one of the year is going to be 69. Will it be the last one of the year? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish we planned that. Do something We'd plan that. <laughs> We'll have something fun. Don't worry. Um, but, yeah, thank you very much, Gary. And <laughs> see you around. Thanks, everyone. Thanks a million, lads. Take care. See, see ya. Boys.